Okay, so last week we talked about thy kingdom come. So it took me 50 minutes, according to my timer, to do three words. And now we have thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Oh, so we're going to be here for two and a half hours. No, just kidding. <laughs> so we're just going to move along. And uh, so let's just open our Bibles to Matthew 6. We are in the Lord's Prayer. And we are talking about thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So let's, and in review, we'll just go talk a little bit. Who's the thy? So the first point or the first word we're going to discuss is thy. Thy will be done. Thy who is Christ referring to in this prayer? We discussed this last week. Our Father who art in heaven is our King. And this is who we are praying to, the King. And in review, let's understand that thy kingdom come means that we have to understand that we are talking to a King. Now, Americans historically have had difficulty with monarchies. <laughs> Um, but a real king has absolute power. And we just said something that we, our brains really can't, can't really deal with. And in praying thy kingdom come, you realize that the world doesn't revolve around you. It really revolves around the king. And he assigns meaning to everything. Whether you agree or disagree, he is the power that is. And what does the Bible say about this? Well, there's like a million verses, but Psalms 103.9 says, The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. So for us to pray, thy kingdom come, our focus is now on the king and the thy in thy kingdom. In order to focus on the thy, remember, here's my little throne right here, I have to stop focusing on the I <laughs> and the my, because if the thy is going to be important, and again, here's our picture, generally we wake up every morning and we're sitting on the throne of our life, and Jesus says if it's going to be thy kingdom come, we have to get off the throne before he can get on it. We have to back off so he can, uh, so I'm going to put my crown down here, and because that's who we're talking about. Thy kingdom come. He's a king, I am not. I, and if you look at your picture with your watering pot, you will notice that, <clears throat> um, that he is, we see God as our deity, and we reverence him, we see God as our sovereign, and we are the subject, and our attitude is one of loyalty. Um, and then today we're going to see that God is our master, and we are the servant, and our attitude is one of submission. So let me just say this, that not only does God, who is the king, have a kingdom, God also has... A plan, okay? He has a plan. Every king has a plan. They have decrees. They have lots of, they have ideas on how the kingdom should run, okay? And so God has a plan, Lisa, for you. 
It doesn't look like this. This is my house plan, actually. <laughs> but I have, a, I have a, a friend in the neighborhood. And in our neighborhood, um, we've had some houses go up. And actually, two houses have, have started and been finished. And people are living in them while this one house, and if you drive by, it's like five houses down from mine, has is still in process. And let me just say that the reason is, is because they keep changing the plants. <laughs> and let me just say that God has a plan for you. It's not your plan though. And so there's only, if you're gonna, if you're gonna do anything for the Lord, We've got to go, we've got to do it according to his plan, okay? So I want, and that's really what we're talking about when we pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's, can I get in on your plan, okay? So let's talk about that. So I must get off the throne of my life and pledge my allegiance to the king and his kingdom, his program, and his plan. And this should be the preoccupation of my life and of my prayers. So every king, okay, so Amy Carmichael, she's a famous uh, missionary, wrote, And shall I pray to change thy will, my father, until it accord with mine? But no, Lord, no, that shall never be. Rather, I pray thee, blend my human will with thine. And that really, honestly, is the crux of this lesson today. So we can go home. No, just kidding. Okay, so we have thy. Everyone's had to understand who the thy is. Now we go to point two, and that is thy will. And this is what kept me up at night, because will, explaining will is kind of a hard thing. It's a noun, it's a verb. There's a lot of things going on with will. So I looked in the dictionary, and it's defined as the mental faculty by which one deliberately chooses or decides upon a course of action. Diligent purposefulness, determination, desire, wish. Okay, so that is what the dictionary says. In Greek, the Greek word for this, when Jesus prayed, is thelema, which is found 64 times in the New Testament. 62 times it's translated will, and one time it's translated desire, and one time it's translated pleasure. Now, what does this, and I, by the way, I looked up all 64, because I, again, I was kind of perplexed this week where to go with this. Um, so let me just tell you the outline of the biblical usage of this word. So in Greek, it means what one wishes or has determined shall be done, commands, precepts. And the alternate definition is will, choice, inclination, desire, and pleasure. Okay? So, thy will. God's desire, God's plan, God's pleasure, God's choice. Okay? So, what is that? Well, now here we run into my first problem that kept me awake. Um, because, and let's remember, Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 say, 
Your thoughts, my thoughts, God speaking, are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So the pro first problem that we have when we talk about thy will, God's will, is that he's way bigger than us, he's way smarter than us, and part of this is gonna be beyond our understanding. Well, give yourselves a hand because that's why we need faith, okay? And that's what this prayer is really talking about in a big way. So it requires faith because oftentimes we don't understand or don't know his will or why, the why part mostly. To pray in God's will requires faith. John MacArthur records, to pray rightly is to pray in faith, believing that God will hear and answer our prayers. I think, this is John, I think that the greatest hindrance to prayer is not lack of technique, lack of biblical knowledge, lack of enthusiasm for the Lord's work, but lack of faith. We simply do not pray with the expectation that our prayers will make a difference in our lives or in others' lives, in the church, or even in the world. And I think he's got something here. Spurgeon says, For the will of the great Father, the will, is the sum of all wisdom. I like that. Let's think about that for a second. The will of God is the sum of wisdom. Reasons are not made known to us, Spurgeon says, else there is no scope for our faith. So God does want to share with us, but then in a lot of ways, it's sort of like explaining calculus to a four-year-old who can barely count to 10. You know, it, it's just not gonna happen. So that's where faith is required. Um, he also, I think this is Spurgeon who said, he who demands a reason of God is not in a fit state to receive one. Ooh, that's a good one. Think about that in traffic. Okay, so what does this mean, thy will? Thy will be done means that I choose his choice. It's all about picking. And remember we said about Panera, it's not you can't pick two. You can't pick, you look at your little cartoon, it's either Yahweh or my way. You get, you, but you get to pick, but you have to pick one or the other. Okay, so let's talk about what will means in theology for just five minutes, because honestly, we can get lost in here. And I did. I went down so many rabbit holes this week thinking about this. But uh, Lewis Berry Schaefer in his Systematic Theology defines will as that faculty in a rational, conscious being by which he has power to choose a course of action and continue in it. The will of God is either what may be called directive or permissive. Now, you and I get one will, but God has two. Um, we have one will. He has two. His first will is the directive will, or John MacArthur recalls it, records it as the will of purpose. Okay? And John MacArthur says, first, it is what might be called his will of purpose, that vast, comprehensive, and tolerating will of God expressed in the unfolding of his sovereign plan 
and embodies all of the universe, including heaven, hell, and earth. This was God's ultimate will, of which Isaiah wrote, the Lord of hosts has sworn, as I have planned, so shall it be, and as I have purposed, so shall it stand. That's Isaiah 14, 24. This is the will of God that allows sin to run its course, Satan to have his way for a season, but in God's appointed time, sin's course and Satan's way will end exactly according to God's plan and foreknowledge. Okay, so this is God. They used to call it perfect will. But how can God have a will other than his perfect will? So then that blows everyone's minds, okay, like mine. Anyway, so let me just read my favorite verse about this. And there's a million verses. No, not a million, but there's a lot of verses about God's will, his sovereignty. We kind of studied it when we talked about um, hallowed be thy name. We talked about a little bit about his sovereignty. But Ephesians 1, 7 through 10 says, In him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So this is the perfect or the directive or the, MacArthur calls it the will of purpose, okay? Now we also have a permissive will. Now, because we're not sovereign, we only get one will. (laughs) But God has two. And this is the permissive will, or John MacArthur calls it the will of desire. Now, Schaefer writes, in the permissive will of God, he is seen allowing man his own choice of that which might be a mere second best or even what might be actually evil. God's will is the standard with which to measure all that is esteemed right in motive, design, and execution. Man's highest end is realized when he conforms to God's will. There is nothing higher for man than to find and do the will of God. Heaven always has a specific purpose for the bringing of each person into the world. And that purpose comprehends every moment of his life. So when we pray, thy will be done, that's what we're praying for. That whatever I was created to do, and my gift may be teaching, that I should be doing it to him for his glory. Okay? MacArthur writes, this is what is called God's will of desire. And within his will of purpose, it is within his will of purpose and is completely consistent with it. But it's more specific and focused. Unlike God's will of purpose, his will of desire is not always fulfilled. In fact, it is very unfulfilled in comparison to Satan's will in this present age. The the example he cites is is, uh, Jesus when he cries over Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you kill, 
your prophets and stone those who are sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. So Jesus wanted to pray with the desire that the will of God wants us to pray with the desire that the will of God should be here on earth just like it is in heaven, okay? The very fact that Jesus tells us to pray this indicates that God's will is not always done, okay? His permissive will is not always done on earth. It is not inevitable. In fact, lack of faithful prayer, according to John MacArthur, inhibits his will being done on earth. In God's wise and gracious plan, prayer is essential to the proper working of his divine will on earth. So here's a weird thought. Even though God is all-powerful, our prayers mean something, and they are effective. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. So, so we've said thy will, that was our second point, and our third point, be done. Thy will be done. Now, we have a great example of God's will being done, and his name is Jesus. <laughs> and let me just say, Jesus, even though he is God himself, capitulated his will to the Father. In fact, he lived and enjoyed doing what God told him to do. Now, don't you want, you wish you had a kid like that? <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> Somebody that you would say, oh, why don't you go put your clothes away? Oh, it's so thank you for doing my laundry. I'm going to go do it right now. Yeah, don't we want that? <laughs> well, God had a kid like that, okay? And his name is Jesus, and he is our Savior. So let me read a few verses to talk about this example. So even Christ came not to do his own will, but only the will of the Father. In John 5.30, he says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because, why? I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. John 6.38-40. through 40. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing that has been given to me, but raise it up in the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes on him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up in that last day. And John, and my favorite, one of my favorite stories when we, were t when we were talking on the portrait of John and we got to the Samaritan woman, she was like one of my favorite girls. But anyway, um, you know, remember he sent all his disciples away because he was tired and weary. And we see the, the beauty of his humanity in that. And he goes to the woman at the well. And, and, and then the disciples come back. He had preached to the woman at the well. She had, like, totally got it. She was off and about to tell all the friends that, about this man that told me everything that I ever knew. And so this is what Jesus said. So the disciples get back. Jesus is sitting by the well. He, they get back with the food. 
Remember? And what does he say to them? He says, I don't need that food. He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So Jesus' very food is to do God's will. Would that be the same with us? Um, Spurgeon writes about Jesus. He taught us this prayer, and then he used it himself in the most unrestricted sense. When bloody sweat stood on his face, and all the fear and the trembling of a man in anguish were upon him, he did not dispute the decree of his father, but he bowed his head and he cried, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. So we have this beautiful example in capitulating our will to his will. But then we also have a non-example. Now in education, we use a lot of non-examples. They're usually sitting right in front of you in strategically placed yeah. places in your classroom. <laughs> These are non-examples. This is what not to do, right? Or not who not to be. And there's a great non-example. Satan is our non-example. Schaefer says Satan's initial sin is well summarized under the five I wills found in Isaiah 14, 12 through 14. This is Satan. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who had laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. So if you want, you know, when, when we pick the, you, you pick and you look at Yahweh and you look at my way, know that your way might not just be your way. Okay, so my will be done means I choose his choice over my choice. I choose his plan for my life over my plan. Okay, so to pray God's will involves the person praying more than the prayer request. Are we catching this? I've been saying this in different ways every part of this. Who is being changed? I said this in the very beginning. Prayer is effective. It changes <coughs> lots of things but the most important thing it changes according to somebody i quoted is myself <laughs> and um, so god's will involve the person praying more than the prayer request if we look at our chart god is the master we are the servants and our attitude is one of submission and you know i didn't like you we don't like that word submission and i left it in there on purpose because we're not supposed to like it I'm just saying, let's call a spade a spade. It, nobody likes submission. Now, it was really funny because I remember this now. Amy Justice does not remember this. She's going to laugh when she hears this. But 
I was, we, my husband and I were teaching a couples class at, in a previous church, and Amy was there, and, we, and I must have been talking about submission, husbands and wives, that kind of whole deal. And she came up to me after the class, and she said, well, how do you know when you're submitting? And I said, when you're doing something that you don't want to do. <laughs> I said, if you're doing what you both agree upon, that is, there's no need for submission. <laughs> the whole part of submission is that you don't want to do it. <laughs> anyway, Evelyn Christensen wrote uh, her, in her book, What Happens When Women Pray, which is a famous book. Praying in God's will is not easy, but it's simple. It involves a commitment of every single thing that comes into our lives to God and his perfect will. It is an ex it's exciting to live in complete oneness with the will of God. It is something that we have to work at constantly, moment by moment. Okay? So back, I had to dig this out because this was from Ephesians, somewhere in Ephesians. But, you know, we have in, our, in America, we have a yield sign. And we don't really like that because we want our way first. <laughs> we don't like that yield sign where I have to let somebody go. Now, in England, they don't have a yield sign. They have something way more palatable, but it's exactly the same thing. So if this makes you feel better, when we yield our will to his will, you, you don't have to say that. You can say, you simply give way. Give way. So that is what God is telling you today and me today is that for us, every moment, according to Evelyn, Every moment, every day, we have to give way, okay? Now, sometimes we are in such unity with him. We are feeling that oneness. We are in the lap of Jesus. We are enjoying that, that it's not hard. His way is our way. But sometimes that flesh comes out, and it's hard. In fact, that somebody asked me, what do you, how do you know God's will? I said, generally, the way I know God's will is it, it's because it's something I don't want to do. <laughs> but not all the time, but sometimes. Okay, so um, every moment of every day, I'm either living for him or I'm living for me. I must choose, like Evelyn said, moment by moment. Now, why is this? Because God needs our, God wants our prayers. God really doesn't need our prayers, but God wishes our prayers, and our prayers are effective, okay? So let's read James 5.16. You probably know it. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you might be healed. Because the effective prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. So in God's economy, somehow within his Will between his directive will and his permissive will, he says prayer matters. And he wants us to pray. In fact, Jesus wants you to pray. Remember, it's the tether. It's the tether that connects us to him. It's the thing that gives us everything that we need. Remember, we said this, that prayer is a way of life. And then we said, and prayer is the way to life in Christ. So I want us to realize that our prayer, he needs, he wants our prayers, okay? Because our prayers are effective. 
So in looking at the Greek word, vine talks about the Greek word effective, and it says the effect produced in a praying person, bringing him into line with the will of God. There we have it again, the will. It's about his will. And remember that, again, we don't like the yield sign. We'll hold up the giveaway sign. But Paul says it even less palatably, if that's a word. He said he has to die daily. Jesus says in Luke 9, 23, 25, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if you gain the whole world and yet forfeit your own soul? That is a huge question that we need to answer. So how do I do this? That's kind of what kept me awake a lot. How do I do this? I get it that his will is way better than mine. But how do I do this? Well, there happens to be one of the 64 verses. Talk about this. Um, and it's really my favorite verse, and I'm going to kind of go into it for a little bit because I think it really tells us how we're supposed to do this. I hope I have you on the edge of your seat. What verse would that be? Okay, I'll turn to Romans 12, 1 and 2. Let's all get there because I don't want you to think I'm making this stuff up. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So he, Paul is telling us a way for us to get to the will of God and understand it, and not only understand it, do it. And not so much understand it as much do it, because sometimes we're not going to understand it. Um, okay, the Greek word for present your body, present, that's a Greek word called peristomai, and it's actually used, it's a technical term that is used when a priest presents the offering on, um, in the temple. When he presents the offering, placing this offering on the altar. It is carried, so the act, this peristomai, carries the general idea of surrendering or yielding up because they, they're bringing this sacrifice. Christians are here, are exhorted to perform what is essentially a priestly act of worship. Because the verb here is imperative, this exhor exhortation carries the weight of a command. So it's not saying, like, on good days, present yourself. It's saying, Lisa, present today. Present yourself. Okay? Like, get there. Okay? That's imperative. Now, what are we presenting? Okay? Now, we know that Jesus was the end of um, the Old Covenant. Okay, so what are we presenting? Because he's, we don't have to do these sacrifice things anymore, remember? Hebrews 9, 11, and 12 tells you exactly what. When 
But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and the more perfect tent, not made with human hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by the means of blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. So there's no more of this blood that we need to present to somehow appease God and atone for our sins. Because why? Because Jesus' blood did that, okay? So sacrifices of dead animals are no longer acceptable to God because the Lamb of God was sacrificed in their place. The redeemed of the Lord are now to offer themselves all that they are and all that they have as living sacrifices. The only acceptable worship is the offering of oneself to God. So you think about the convoluted temple worship system, and aren't we so glad that when Jesus said it is finished, the veil between God and man was ripped from top to bottom, and we can boldly come before the throne of grace because of what Jesus did. But he says the art of sacrificing is not over. It's over for the dead animals and all that blood. It is now you are to be that sacrifice. I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Okay, let's keep going. Paul's gentle but firm command is that we are not to allow ourselves to be conformed. That's the next verse. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transferred by the renewal of your mind. So don't be conformed to this world. We're not to masquerade as a worldly person for whatever reason. Uh, J.B. Phillips translates this. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. And what is the word world here? Don't be conformed to this world. It's really, it's a Greek world, aeon, and it's really better translated age. Don't let this age. And I like this because there's lots of ages and there's lots of weird and strange philosophies. There is more now than ever, I believe, now that we have the internet. But uh, John MacArthur says, the world system is now dominated by Satan, who is the god of this world. Same word. Trench describes this world, and I just love this, because just think of the internet, okay? <laughs> when you say this, this is, now Trench is long dead, so he had no idea. But he describes the world as that floating mass of thoughts, opinions, maxims, speculations, hopes, impulses, aims, aspirations, at any time current to the world, which it may be impossible to seize and accurately define, but which constitute a most real and effective power being the moral or immoral atmosphere in which every moment of our lives we inhale and inevitably exhale. We are to be in the world, ladies, but not of the world. And these, we can't let this world, these crazy thoughts. It was so interesting because we're watching, um, I mentioned Francis Schaeffer to you guys 
And Kay mentioned to me that Francis Schaefer happened to have been a friend of their families, which is like so amazing to me. So she sent me a link to his, um, to his, actually it's, it's a book he wrote, How Then We Shall, How Then Shall We Live? And um, there's like, a, it's a 10 part series. So I, we, my husband and I are watching it. And it's very interesting because in this, he talks about humanism. And I remember in the 70s and the 80s, I remember Tim LaHaye writing Battle for the Mind. And everything was, you know, it was about humanism, humanism. And it's interesting because my husband said, well, whatever happened to humanism? I said, well, we're still humanistic. We just don't call it that anymore. And it's just so interesting because there's so many different flavors of things that have come on that the world has heralded as the new savior. This is what you need to do. And it's just like... It, I love it. It's, it's a floating mass of thoughts, opinions, maxims, and speculations. That is what it is. And what is the flavor of this month? Just open your Facebook page. It's all, it's all there. But we are not to be conformed, ladies, to that if we're going to do anything with God's will. Okay? It says we are not to be squished into that mold, but be transformed. And that Greek word, we get the word metamorphosis out of. Be tramp, be the butterfly. <laughs> it connotes an out, a change in outward appearance. This is the exact same word that is translated when it's described Jesus's transfiguration. He was transfigured, metamorphosed before them, and his face shone like the sun. His garments became as white as light. See, Christ's inner divine nature and glory were for a brief time and to a limited degree manifested outwardly. Our inner redeemed nature also needs to be manifested outwardly, but as completely and as continually as possible in our daily living. Although we are to aspire to this outward change, it can be only accomplished by the Holy Spirit working within us and are being filled with the Spirit. So let me just tell you, and I'm going back to what we talked about, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, which is, this prayer is landed right in the middle of it. Remember, it was opposite day. And he kept saying to the Pharisees, don't be like them because they're all about the outward appearance. I want inner righteousness. And he is, in this, these verses, he's telling us that the inner righteousness is a work of the Holy Spirit. It's when we get off the throne and we let him be on the throne, we are then spirit-filled, spirit-controlled, however you want to say it. So our transformation is not something that we can just kind of do. It's not us saying to ourselves, gee, you know, my makeup's all messed up. I'm just going to go to the little girl's room and fix myself up here and be on my way. It is a transformation that is wrought through the Holy Spirit, and it starts in the inside man, and it works its way out. And let me tell you, that's something that he wants to see happen to each one of us. 2 Corinthians 3, 18 says, And we all, with unveiled face, wait, unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. 
So this transformation, this metamorphosis that he says, do not be conformed, but be transformed. This transformation is us really turning into Jesus. It says we're, we're going to be like him, okay? Um, Ephesians 5, 15 through 18 says, look, look carefully how you walk. Not as unwise, but wise, making the best use of your time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Wait for it. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be being filled with the Spirit. Okay, so let's get to the next part of my Romans verse. And you're like, man, she sure can talk. I thought we were in Matthew. Well, we're in just Romans for a little bit, and then we're going to go back. And it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the what does it say? Renewing of your mind. The outward transformation is affected by the interchange of the mind. And God here has given us kind of a new way to think. So let's get some more verses on this so you don't think I'm making this stuff up. Colossians 3, 9 and 10 say, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self which it's with its old practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. So I want you to see every time that we're talking about this renewal of mind, God has a purpose in this. It's the renewal of us. So why? So that we can be that child of God's self that he saw. And it looks kind of like Jesus. Okay? And every time he chisels something away, it's so that we look more and more like him. And so it's a good thing. Sometimes painful. Um, Ephesians 4.20. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him or were taught in him as the truth as it is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So when we are choosing his will over our will, we're choosing, instead of looking like us, we're choosing that we want to look like him. And, um, and this is kind of a new way. It's a renew of our mind. Our mind. This is up here. Okay. It's a new way of thinking. When our thoughts are in submission to his and therefore in harmony with God's thoughts, our behavior will follow this correct thinking. Now, this is the problem with modern Christianity right today. I'm going to tell you it's right here. Because we put the cart before the horse. We talk about holy living before we talk about becoming holy. Whole, we become holy, we are transformed, and then we have holy living. That's the, what follows, okay? But so much of our time and so much of Christianity today is putting the holy living on. It's like me going into the ladies' room and fixing my little face. I'm still the same me. I'm still this corrupt me. 
I'm still this fleshly me. The transformation he wants is the renewal of my mind where I am now a new creature in Christ Jesus. And I can't help but be holy because that's I'm in from the inside out. Okay? Are you with me? I hope I'm explaining that right. Okay, so in counseling, you know, there's this there was this huge there's this huge movement um, in counseling uh, when B.F. Skinner came onto the forefront of modern psychology. And he was a behaviorist. And he was like, forget about, you know, forget about experience, forget about this. Everyone's behavior is controlled by outward stimuli, okay? So if you do this and you know, if I put the cat food out on the cat food dish every day, she is going to come because that's what I'm doing. Everything that she's going to do is in response to my. So there's, there was like no thought. It was everything. And there's a lot of truth in that in parenting, just FYI. There's nothing wrong with this, what he's saying. But the wrong part of it is, is that he's taken out the mind, okay? And in counseling, we have a thing called the cognitive behavior therapy, which incorporates what he says that, yes, you are going to do behavior that more frequently that is reinforced, okay? But also it's about what the way you think. So if I want to change a behavior that is a bad behavior, I don't just have to reinforce the right things, I have to change the way I think about. And huge, this is a huge thing, um, that we spend a lot of time in counseling changing the way people think. So therefore, their behavior can have the freedom to change. Well, God is saying to you right here and right now, I have the right way to think. Because Jesus came, remember, he was the king of truth, remember? That I have the way to think. You got to get in line with, my, with me, and that is the correct way to think. Okay, so we are running out of time, so I'm going to keep moving quickly. So, if I choose his will and not my will, well, let me read this one verse. Um, 1 Peter 4, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with this same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, why, why, why wait for it, but for the will of God. So this arming myself with his way of thinking somehow is... I'm putting aside that old stuff, and I'm going to live in the flesh no longer, but and not being subjugated by my human passions, but for the will of God. Okay, so if I choose his choice, not my will, but his, what does that really look like? So now I'm getting, I, like I said, I looked up all 64 times that will was mentioned in the New Testament, and I'm going to give you a bunch. Um, there's eight results, and there's probably way more, but this is just, this is all I got, and I'm going to run out of time as it is. Okay, so what's God's will for my life? Okay, sometimes we feel like this is a mystery, like we should go to, you know, the Chinese restaurant, and we open up the little fortune cookie, and there's God's will, okay? Um, there is not much mystery in God's will, because God's will has been written down. And it is called the Bible. There's all kinds of commandments. And every one of these commandments, he's saying to you, Linda, 
this is my will for you, this commandment. So we don't have to pray, oh, should I live with my boyfriend? We don't have to pray that. We don't have to ask God, what's your will? Because it says, no, let's keep this, the marriage bed sacred, okay, and undefiled. So there's just lots of things in this book that tells you about God's will. And so we should be in it um, all the time. But what does his word say specifically and about God's will? And I'm going to read them really quickly. Number one, we give thanks in all things. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So here is a thing. Number two, we are servants to all. 1 Peter 2.13-17, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be an emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who are evil and to praise for those who are good. 15, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. So we are servants. Number three, we are sanctified. We are set apart for God's use in such a special way, we are those chosen vessels in the house. Um, Peter, Second, Second Timothy talks about it. We are sanctified for a specific use. And in our sanctification, because remember, there's three kinds, there's three salvations. Oh gosh, I don't have time. Okay, we're justified when we become Christians. He looks at us and says, Oh, instead of seeing Lisa, I see Christ's righteousness. You are justified, okay? Then there's sanctification. That is us becoming more and more like Jesus every day. And then there's third, our glorification. That is when we get our new bodies. That's to come. That's thy kingdom come. That's what we prayed for last week, okay? So we're sanctified. So we are supposed to be more and more like Jesus every day, and that is God's will for us. Um, it says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 2 through 4, for you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That you abstain from sexual immorality. That, one of, that each of you should know how to control his body in holiness and honor. 1 John 2, 16 and 17. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father but from the world and the world is passing away with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. That is first John two sixteen and 17. And I love that because that has the great non-example. Um, the LSD lust, sin and death um, Four, we are wholehearted in our devotion Ephesians 6, 5 through 8, bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ doing the will of God from your heart, rendering service with goodwill as to the Lord and not as to man. So it's about us being wholehearted. Interesting enough, David, who we know is a man after God's own heart, 
Let me read the rest of that verse. <laughs> and this is Acts 13, 22. I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, comma, who will do all my will. Okay, number five, his will is discovered through prayer. Um, Epaphroditus, Epaphras is one of uh, Paul's guys, and in Colossians, he's writing about him in his closing. Colossians 4.12, it says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Jesus Christ, greets you, and this is how he describes Epaphras, always struggling, laboring is another word, on your behalf in his prayers. Isn't that a beautiful thing? This is Epaphras. This is what he did. He worked hard in his prayers. He struggled hard on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all of the will of God. So not only do I can pray, I can pray, oh, let, help me know the will of God. I can pray that you guys can figure out God's will too. That's what Epaphras, that's what he, that, and that you would be mature. Colossians 1.19, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's Paul's prayers for the church of the Colossae. Hebrews 13.20 is actual a prayer that the writer of Hebrews is saying, now may the God of peace who brought again you again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Number six, your actions will reflect his plan or will. Now, Jesus is really all about, at this point of time, not about lip service. Because that's all the Pharisees had. So he looked to them and he said in Matthew, at the close of the Sermon on the Mount, he's saying in Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So don't talk about it so much. Do it. Mark 3, 35 um, and I remember this because this happened in John too. You know, the, his his mom and his disciple and his brothers were outside, and he was talking. He was preaching. Remember that story? And and they say, "Hey, your mom's outside. Like, you better get with your mom." And he says, "For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother." So it's about what we do, not really what we say. Um, and. Uh, his will may entail suffering. First Peter four, nineteen. Therefore, let all of those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful Creator while doing good. And the last one is really my favorite one: is uh, our prayers. No, this is eight. Okay, seven was his will may entail suffering. Eight is our prayers will be effective if we ask according to his will. 1 John 5, 13 through 15. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that he hears us 
in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. So those are some benefits. Those are some things that the Bible says, this is what the will of God looks like. But I want to go now, and you're like, we don't even have time, but we do, on earth as it is in heaven. So this is my fourth point. My first one was thy, second, father, no, thy will, second will, be done is the third. And as on earth as it is in heaven is my fourth point. So the Lord Jesus would not only just have us do the Father's will, but he's also giving us a model. I never really thought about this until I read Spurgeon's. This is a sermon that Spurgeon wrote. Let me just tell you what a man of God this guy was. Anyway, he wrote this in 1884, or he spoke this in 1884. And it says, so how, what is this model? The model is heaven. Heaven is our model. It's a, he's, Jesus says, pray this way. Thy will be done on earth, how? As it is in heaven. So that gives us a model. The as it is in heaven is our model. 